Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we're talking again about uh, the Kingdom of God and specifically remission. We did two hours this morning on remission. And we also talked about the fact that there was going to be a meeting in Florida. And uh, that was going to near, be near Okeechobee tomorrow at 1 o'clock at a particular park, which I cannot remember the name of the park. But all this, uh, if you're on the network, you'll know... You'll, you'll get to know where different meetings are taking place. They don't announce every single one on the network, but the more they get to know you, they will announce it on the Living Network, which each congregational group has its own email network uh, or way of communicating. And uh, that's what you have to do. Is so We're not going to put everything out there on the Internet so that you can see what's what, but it, at Okeechobee, Florida, at Flagler Park. Uh, there's going to be a meeting around 1 o'clock trying to form a congregation there in Florida to see if people will start to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So this morning we talked a great deal about remission and I mentioned the fact that there are 10 times that the word remission shows up in the Bible and it's always in the New Testament where it talks about remission and that's a particular t- word that is translated uh, I misspoke. I actually thought that every single time it was from a particular uh, Greek word. And there is one time in Romans 3.25 where you see a different Greek word that is translated into remission. Now, the, the word uh, that we see, Ephesus, is not always uh Translated remission, it means to release from bondage, and supposedly this has to do with the bondage of sin, which is really to say the consequences of sin. And uh, it that particular word, uh, apesis, or apesis, is from uh, apimi, which is a verb, which has to do with uh, to send away, to uh, to let go to kind of in some sense to pardon uh, that the person is no longer obligated in the way that they were obligated before now they can leave they are forgiven they you know and it's translated forgive the the verb is even translated forgive 47 times it's translated leave 52 times well forgive and leave don't really mean exactly the same thing so if you start Playing with words like this, you could distort people's intellectual understanding of the Bible. But, of course, if you're led and reading the Bible with the Holy Spirit, you're going to say, like, well, what does that actually mean? And and you're going to be always drawn towards the truth. And you will more likely see the truth. A lot of things start falling into place the more light and more truth you bring to your study in the Bible. Just an intellectual approach to studying the Bible is eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're trying to figure it out yourself with your own mental capabilities. 
You have to have the Holy Spirit guiding you. And I believe that everybody has had glimpses of the Holy Spirit and has shown them some things. They don't always know when it's the Holy Spirit and when it's not. People are always asking me, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Well, this is the topic that we were talking about this morning for two hours. Is there are, it tells you in the Bible things that you will see that, or that you will do, or you'll see others doing that tells you that they're not really following the Holy Spirit. Uh, James tells you some of these things. Peter tells you some of these things. Paul tells you some of these things. Certainly Christ tells you some of these things. That if you're not doing what the Father says to do, then you, you're, not listening to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's not going to tell you what the Father doesn't want you to do. It's only going to tell you what the Father wants you to do. So, if you're particularly doing evil still, and this is what we saw again in John 3 and in John 5, that you may think you're born again, but if you're still doing evil, if you're still coveting your neighbor's goods, if you're still asking men who exercise authority to take away from your neighbor, in other words, taking a bite out of your neighbor to get benefits so that you can have free stuff at their expense, that's evil. That's a covetous practice. That's going to make you merchandise, curse your children, and it's clear evidence that you're not really born again of the Spirit. You're still living of the flesh because you want to satisfy the flesh. And you're willing to overlook the very basic commandments of Christ, the very basic teachings of John the Baptist. You're supposed to be taking care of one another through charity. You're not supposed to be taking care of one another through force, by forcing the contributions of other people so that you don't have to give as much. And we recently had somebody who fell and broke their hip. Somebody, a widow that we often take care of and oversee and kind of make sure she has enough firewood and things like that. And um, now one of the good things from all this, if you can find a good thing in it, is that her family is getting way more involved in her life and they're coming to help her out. And it's still been a big burden on us, but it's great to see them stepping up to the plate. And the more they step up, the more we will step back because we know that the way you strengthen people is get them to step up to their responsibilities. One of the things that uh, I'll be talking about in the future is uh, something that uh, I've seen talked about on, you know, different uh, venues and uh, different uh, groups and uh, where they talk about, what is it, uh, corpus juris, I have to translate it into Latin, (laughs) harder to remember it. I actually started a page already on it, and uh, corpus uh, juris secundum, and uh, It has to do with this idea of the body of law, and specifically natural law. That's what it originally meant. Now, there's there's a book called Corpus Juris Secundum, and uh, that's published, and it's full of, it does have some natural law in it, but it has a great deal of statutory law and uh, different... uh, Things in it that have to do with the civil law. The law that men make for themselves. The natural law. You don't make the natural law. 
God made that. And built into the natural law are the cause and effect of God's creation. The, the consequences of doing things the wrong way or doing them a certain way. If you do things one way, you will go into bondage. If you do something this way, you, you will curse your children. If you uh, don't take care of your parents, you may not live long upon the land. You know, that's what they're trying to tell you with these ten guidelines, these ten statements, these ten commandments that we read. They're trying to show you that if you stray from this, which is part of the formula built into creation, there will be consequences. And those consequences are the consequences of sin. And so anyway, I I started this page on Corpus Juris Secundum. And uh, we'll deal with that at another time. But if you join the network, you'll get notice. You'll we'll show you the links to this morning's programs on the remission of sins, because you your sins are not rem, there is no remission, there is no removing of the consequences of your sins, sins like covetous practices, simply because you get baptized. People think, well, I got baptized, and I believe in Jesus, so therefore I'm saved. No. That's not what it says. Now, I know people have told you that that's what it says, but that is not what it says. It's about repenting and getting baptized. Even says the baptism of repentance, which would be the submersion in this repentance. And repentance is not feeling sorry. Very important. We talk about this all the time. Repentance means thinking a different way. And of course, that way you want to think is the way of Christ. And Christ came thinking that he would sacrifice himself. Though he was rich, he made himself poor, he'll take care of the needy. He was always sacrificing his time, his energy, his money to help other people out in a way that strengthens them. And part of that was in explaining to them, and we talked about that this morning, that he was saying these things that you might be saved. And what he was saying was how the kingdom of God works. Because the people were sitting in darkness. They did not love the light. But when he brought the light, some came to the light. Some hated the light and wanted to put Christ's lights out. That's why they wanted to get rid of Christ. Is because they didn't like what he had to say. And so when I come along and I'm telling you what he said... I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to tell you what he said. Some people are not going to like that. So anyway, like I said, most of the time this word remission is from this apesis, which is from a, a verb, apimi, and this uh, hemi or emi, depending on you know how the Greek word shows up, has to do with to go or to send. And remission is about saying, we're going to send you on your way. You, you're going to be free from the consequences of your sin. And one of the consequences of sin is that bondage. Or you become merchandise. You become a human resource. Uh, you, you can go to work, but all your labor is not going to be yours. You're back in the bondage of Egypt. If you're back in the bondage of Egypt, somebody has been doing works of iniquity. Now, you might be back in the bondage of Egypt because your parents or your grandparents. I mean, 
all the people that were in the bondage of Egypt at the time that Moses came to set them free, they were there originally because their parents had signed a a deal with Joseph and the Pharaoh that they would give 20% of their labor. It would belong to the government. 20% of their labor would belong to the government and they would be in the... That was what the bondage of Egypt was. And we were freed from that by Moses and were never to go back to that way again. So, But... Some people say, well, that 20% was to fund the government so that the government would have resources to take care of the needy of society in case of a famine. So, it, you know, it built granaries and it put up grain and everything. The United States used to do that. The United States went to farmers. I worked on wheat farms, you know, I don't know, a long time ago, half a century ago. Uh, and I worked on wheat farms. And at that time, there were all kinds of bins some were made out of wood, some were made out of steel, and they were they were built to certain specs, and they were full of grain. Thousands and thousands of bushels of grain. And there was a sticker on the door, and it said it belonged to the federal government. But it was on my uncle's farm, and it was on my great-uncle's farm, and on other relatives and other friends, cousins, on their farm up in North Dakota. They had these stickers that said that the grain inside those bins didn't belong to my uncle, but belonged to the government. And what it was, was the government bought the grain from them at a given price, whatever the price was that given year, and they put it into storage. And they had to build the storage, and they, you know, there, there was some assistance from the government, but basically, that grain belonged to the government, but they could buy it back from the government and sell it on the open market if the price went up. I mean, they could buy it in any case, but usually only if it, the price went up would they buy it from the government and put it on the open market. If too much grain, if you had a real good year in grain and everybody was selling their grain, you know, like the seven good years in Egypt, and everybody was selling their grain because we had seven good years in a row of of crops. And you would get less and less each year because nobody's buying. They, there's enough. There's no demand. But then when they have a bad year, the price will go up. Well, you might not have any grain to sell unless you put it aside. Now, really what people should have done is you know, save up that grain and just put it aside and don't sell, everybody sell every grain that they make. But people work on tight budgets. But that's that's learning the kingdom financing and how that works. But what you could do is your congregations of people and your network of congregations of people could put up money and the church buy that grain. And we put our seal on that granary. It says that that grain is owned by the church. And and then, when they need to, you know, when there is a shortage of grain and the crops fail, they would have that surplus. Seven years of surplus, maybe. And that's what we had on the farms, on the wheat farms in America back 50 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe even 30 years ago. I don't remember exactly, but... Somewhere along the line, the government stopped that program. 
And now they've, they've sold off those bins. They don't even exist in many cases anymore. And there is no surplus. And we've done shows on this years ago showing that there's really only about six months, maybe a year's supply of grain in the pipeline at any given time. And if there's a shortage, people will starve. People in America will starve. People in South America. I mean, that's why Egypt fell under Mubarak was there was crop failures. Crop failures in Russia and people in Egypt were going hungry. Because because there were crop failures in Russia, people were buying grain from other places and they could pay a little bit more. And the people in Egypt couldn't pay that price, so they were going to starve. And there was a riot. This is how the beginning of the fall of the Roman Republic took place. There were crop failures. Uh, this is why the Israelites went into bondage. Crop failures. But Joseph had some sense. Now, he would have told his brothers this, but they had sold him into bondage. So he ended up telling the Pharaoh that you, you're going to have some good years. You need to put up grain. And it made Pharaoh the richest ruler and the mightiest ruler in all of the area. Even the people of Egypt were not under the authority of Pharaoh at the beginning of the famine as they were at the end of the famine. They all became human resources. They all became merchandise of the Pharaoh. Not only the Israelites, but even the Egyptians. And when Moses came to set the people free, there was another famine. <laughs> but... Moses told the people how to prepare because he had this Holy Spirit insight. And not only were the Israelites freed, but many of the Egyptians went with the Israelites. Because it's not about race, it's about righteousness. And what they learned during that was how to take care of one another. So that's what happened in Egypt, but that also happened in Rome. And we see it right away in the epistles. There's dearths which has to do with shortages. Shortages of money, shortages of food, shortages of trade. And so people in certain areas were having real difficult times. And they needed assistance. Now you could get assistance from the government. It may not come right on time, but you could have got it. But Christians couldn't get it because Christ forbid that. He said you weren't to be like the governments of the Gentiles you know, the princes of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. In other words, they provide for the needy, the welfare, the, the desires, the benefits of society, but they do it with forced offerings, which is what they did in Egypt. You had to pay it in in Egypt. Israel, once it went with Moses, you were supposed to pay in 10%, maybe 20% in, in hard times to your ministers, the Levites, who would take what you have and they would take it because you freely gave it. There was no blood in it. They weren't forcing this offering. They took it because you were giving free will offerings. And they would redistribute it amongst the people. You could eat the meat of the sacrifice. The benefit of the sacrifice. And when we say meat, like I said I, this morning, I put up another page on meat. Meat doesn't necessarily mean steaks and ground round. 
meat has to do with provision. So when John the Baptist said, if your neighbor has no coat and you have two, share, do the same in meats, he's talking about whatever they need. If they need help with educating their kids, you're supposed to gather together to help educate the kids. You're not supposed to put them in a tax levy and force them to buy you a new school and pay the teachers' unions and all that stuff. That's covetous. So you're not supposed to be doing that. So anyway, back to this remission. Remission, see, if you if you sin, you're going to end up in bondage. You're going to end up under the control of government. They could shut down your business if you don't wear masks. If you don't get vaccinations, they could fire you. Uh, they might not let you into certain stores if you don't have, or, or fly on planes if you don't get their vaccinations or have their ID. You know, their, uh, passports. You, you can't travel where you want without their permission. That's pretty much evidence that you're back into bondage. If you can't keep all your labor, you're back into bondage. Like my father, an attorney, for years I asked him when I was a very small boy, who did he work for? He said until July 1st, he worked for the government. After that, he worked for himself. And that's because he was in a 50% income tax bracket. And so half of the money he earned went to the government. So until July 1st, he was just working for the government. You know, half the year, everything he earned first went to the government. And of course, they break it up so you don't feel the pain of that so much. But it's starting to get more painful for people. Well, that's because you're in the bondage of Egypt. And you're in the bondage of Egypt because the modern church is not preaching the gospel of Christ. The modern Jew in his synagogue is not preaching the gospel of Moses. For they would, because they're all in the bondage of Egypt again. And like I mentioned this morning, Ben Shapiro, who says a lot of good things, but he says that the government should have a social safety net. No, you should have a social safety net. You're supposed to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. You're not supposed to be a democracy. You're supposed to be a republic. In a republic, nobody can force you to contribute to public schools or uh, social security. You're supposed to be doing that yourselves. And we used to do it that way in America. But we forgot. We got away from that. And one of the things that helped us get away from it more than anything else is public schools. Because once you had public schools, somebody controlled the books you were going to read. And what was in your history books. What was in your literature books. You know, they removed certain literature. They removed certain items from history. And we showed this, like I said this morning, at Schools uh, as Tools, which is at preparingyou.com. You can read it. And it shows. They they planned it. We can use the word, the C word, conspired it. So, the idea that, you know... There's a COVID conspiracy and that they're reporting way more cases. I guess Fauci just came out and said that they're reporting more uh, cases amongst children than are actually there. You know, more deaths from COVID than are actually there because they're reporting deaths of children with COVID. They may be dying of other things, but because they test positive for 
COVID, and even the CDC recently came out and said that most of the COVID tests are false positives. When they say false positives, I mean, it says that you have COVID, but it's false. You don't really have COVID. And they don't even know if it's COVID or just the flu or whatever, because the test isn't that specific. I mean, I know they they want to tell you that it is, but so do the preachers want to tell you that you're saved because you thought a thought. You actually saved yourself because you thought a thought. That's not the way it works. You have to repent. You have to think like Jesus. You have to do, not just say. You have to do like Jesus, because that's what Jesus said. So anyway, we went over all that this morning. You can go listen to it. But I did make the mistake of not mentioning Romans three twenty-five, which says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now that's interesting. Through faith in his blood to declare the righteousness of the remission and that's where they use this other word for remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So this forbearance of God, it's, it's like uh, the forgiveness of God. And, you know, we have a whole uh, page on this Romans 3 that covers uh, Romans 3, was it verse 25? And uh, I'll have to put links in here back to this so that you can see this. Yeah, it's been a long time since I visited that page. I'll have to go back. I can I can see where I can doctor a great deal of this up. What I used to do, and I didn't do it at the beginning when I first started going through each of the epistles, was I would have a side panel so that on the left you could just read down the text. And on the right, there would be a side panel. And I see here in Romans 3, I don't have that. That's the first time I went to it in probably years. And I can see right away that I can add a lot more links. Because what we're doing is building resources. You know, uh, what about shedding blood? Well, I have an article on this idea of shedding blood. What is this idea of blood? And uh, like Proverbs 1.10, verse twenty. Uh, through verse 28, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Well, who, what sinners would be enticing you? Are we talking about the boys of the hood or what? No, we're talking about FDR. FDR enticed the people to desire benefits at the expense of their neighbor and that he would force them or borrow money against the future, which is the same thing, which would curse your children. He would force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Now, you were already doing that with public education, uh, which if you go back to 1910, most people did not go to public schools in America in 1910. That's when it first started, you know, getting to be almost 50% of the people started going to public school. But even then, that 50% of the people that were starting to go to public schools in 1910, those public schools were mostly funded by private donations and by the people. Now, they didn't have a big sports program and all these things, but when they did have these things, they were privately funded by alumni or what have you. But the the submersion 
in these covetous practices has come over a period of time. And repentance is this immersion in the idea that those are covetous practices and we shouldn't be doing them. So, when they say, get the baptism of repentance, it means to start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. This will alter the way you see the world, the way you see things, the way you read the Bible. You will see more and more. And they say, oh my goodness, this is what this verse is about. Oh my goodness, this is what this verse is about. You know, like I said in Proverbs 10, they're talking about one purse. See, this was so long ago when I, I, I put that verse in here to see. I have a whole article on the one purse. It goes through it in detail. So I need to put those things in. And as we do that, you know, it, this is a, a huge labor of love. It requires 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And then I have to make a living besides because I get no salary as a minister of his holy church. None of the ministers do. That's the modern church. You know, Peter didn't get a salary. Paul didn't get a salary. Paul had the right to take from the money that people were giving him that he was using to go about and redistribute what was needed during these depressions and dearths and runaway inflation. But he had a business, a tent-making business, seemingly with Aquila and Priscilla, and others. And, you know, he comes from, you know, uh, Cilicia, which was a big tent manufacturing area. And that's probably where his father made a huge amount of money, is running these big tent manufacturing uh, enterprises. And so he knew how to do that. And because he was Romeos, not a citizen of Rome, but Romeos, he was able to travel all over the Roman Empire with impunity. Because he was an apostle of the church, he could take supplies and pass through harbors where they would normally tax you. But because of laws that Augustus put into place, they couldn't tax Paul. They couldn't tax Timothy. They couldn't tax Barnabas because they were a part of an institution called the Ecclesia, the church, established by Jesus Christ. And Rome recognized Jesus Christ. Now, eventually, they had their falling out. Now, the original persecutions of the Christians was out of jealousy and envy. You know, by Romans and Greeks and different people in different places. We see that when Paul goes to Ephesus. It's, it's jealousy and envy. But eventually there was an official persecution under some of the emperors or some of the local governors. Paul put a nexus on that because when Paul appealed to Rome, all the local judges were afraid to prosecute the Christians for any wrongdoing until they found out how the emperor was going to rule. Because if they ruled one way and the emperor ruled another, they'd be in trouble. So Paul was very clever to do that, and we've explained that in other places. There's a great deal that we are constantly reminding people of and showing people in these footnotes of how this all works and how this all fits together. And you're not getting told this by your other ministers who have 
been in charge of your 40,000 denominations while you were all brought back into the bondage of Egypt, empowering the rulers to become despots. And now you want to, you know, somebody, they didn't say it to me, but somebody I heard rumors of talking about forming a militia because they think government is usurping all kinds of authority, which is why I'm going to talk about this corpus juris secundum. People think, well, we'll go into court because they're overstepping their bounds. Well, the fact is, is you're under tribute now because of sloth. The Bible tells you the slothful will be under tribute. You have become human resources because of your covetous practices. Now, I'm not saying that the government is doing everything correct. It certainly is not. But until you fix the covetous practices, which will require repentance, don't expect to be free. You're certainly not going to free by get free by some sort of violent insurrection. The, even the early American Revolution was only a small fraction of the Americans, and they weren't the ones who were revol- revolting. You know, I've pointed this out. Many of the battles, the, the most profound battles that they won... They didn't shoot anybody. (laughs) There was very little battle going on. They just showed up and stood their ground. It was really, I mean, there was a lot of Americans who died, but most of them died from exposure and a few uh, ill-perceived battles, like the Battle of Bunker Hill, not properly approached. And they were learning, and I understand that. But the reality is, is that what really made America free was all the things they did before the American Revolution. And like I, I say, the king was the one who was revolting. He was violating. And, and we, we quote the speeches that they had in the parliament, saying that the king can't impose these laws that we were objecting to in America. He could do it anywhere else in his other colonies, but he couldn't do it in America because of the uniqueness of the American charters and the American experience. But people don't know that. I I heard somebody, uh, probably from Hillsdale College, talking about how we need to understand our Constitution and our and our the civic nature of our government because the, the. the the he didn't use the word leftist but liberals but he's saying there are those who are trying to undermine our understanding of those constitutions. Well, I will tell you that his understanding of the constitution was undermined when he was going to school. It was undermined when I was going to school, which is why we wrote the book Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, which clearly shows beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Constitution is not a biblical document. It's not in conformity with with what the Bible says. Now, it's a great document. I'm not here to condemn it. I'm just trying to show you, put everything into perspective. You're you're not going... I, I have nothing against you owning guns or anything, but you're not going to become free because you own a gun. You're not going to become free because you insurrect against this government. You're not going to become free because you file affidavits based on what you think corpus juris secundum means. You're going to get free if you repent. Immerse yourself in that repentance 
Start doing what Christ actually said, what Moses actually said, what Abraham actually said, because those guys set whole nations free. Now, I'm not telling you to do what the Pharisees said Moses said, because we know Jesus said the Pharisees got it wrong. So, yeah, we're going to constantly challenge what you think the Bible is all about. But we're constantly building uh, more and more pages, more and more documents, more and more, adding more and more footnotes, more and more recordings so that you can understand. And when I do make a mistake like I did this morning, we have a network of people listening and they say, oh, uh, there is one other place that they have the word remission. And it's not, uh, you know, it's not the word that I thought it was, (laughs) a thesis. But it's uh, this paresis, which is very similar. The para part of paresis is just another preposition. And just the same as epi is also a preposition. So they're similar prepositions. So yeah, the words are actually very similar. And it has to do with you can now go your way. You can now be free. Uh, Free souls under God. But if you continue to not go the way of God, the way of Jesus Christ, you're just going to be back into bondage again. Or you you're end up where you're not going to survive. Like I said, everybody's going to get free as the system collapses, as the souls of this world fall on their own sword or hide in their dens and... Uh, their ceilings collapse in on them or whatever is going to happen. There's a lot of things going to happen. But if you're going to continue to have an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force and violence, you're not following John the Baptist. You're certainly not following Jesus Christ. You're not born again because you're coveting your neighbor's goods. And so you need to repent of that. So, and which is why Mark 1, 4 and Luke 3, 3 is talking about the repentance, the baptism of repentance, the immersion of your mind and your heart in this way of Christ, of sacrificing for one another. No greater love hath the man than that he laid down his life for his fellow man for Christ's sake, in, in Christ's name, in Christ's character. You can't do it because you're hoping to get something free out of it. Uh, you have to do it because you really care about others. And and we see the same thing again, like I said this morning in Luke 24, 47. Repentance and remission. And uh, where else did we see it? Acts, 3, uh, Acts 2, 38. Well, it's when Peter said, Repent and be baptized everyone. And everybody thinks, well, it's baptism that is the key. No, it's repentance that is the key. Because he's already heard the other apostles saying the baptism of repentance, the immersion in this repentance. So you repent and immerse yourself in that repentance. And the only way to really do that is to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded and start taking care of one another. It's a lot to start taking care of one another, but it's a lot to perish, too. 
and perishing with the system as the system collapses is your option. Repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness by taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Or don't repent. Don't seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Just imagine that you have repented. Imagine that you're born again. Get some preacher to give you an emotional experience and assume that that emotional experience is the Holy Ghost. But we know it's not the Holy Ghost if you continue to do evil. Because John 3 says so. Because John 5 says so. Because Paul says so. You don't have any inheritance in the kingdom if you're still coveting one another's goods. If you're still backbiting and, and doing all these things that you would count as sin. So the way and not the way. The coming of John the Baptist was in part to give the people the knowledge of salvation. That they lack because they sat in darkness. And we see that, like I said in Luke one seventy nine, to give light to them that sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death, because that's where they are. They're in the shadow of death. Now these are metaphors. But in the shadow of condemnation, there's a lot of people going to die in the next few years. Uh, I mean, what do we have? We have like 10,000 people die a day in America. Always. But what if that went up to 100,000? Because death rates really haven't gone up that much with COVID. They blame a lot on COVID, but if you actually look at the number of people that have died, but I believe that's that's going to start changing more rapidly. Because I, I, I really believe, I can't prove this, I have a lot of evidence in our articles at Preparing You, and there's a lot of other doctors who think so, that this is about the decimation of the human population. And, you know, like the decimation, decimation has to do with every tenth person is going to die. Well, if there's 300 million people and every tenth person, that's 10% of them die, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. But decimations often are followed by more decimations. So first you lose 10% of what you got and then you lose 10% of what you got left. So, this is what John the Baptist was coming back to, is this this idea of teaching you the knowledge of salvation, which is, you had to start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. This knowledge was the guide, to guide your feet into a way of peace. You're, you're not going to take care of one another through force. You're going to take care of one another through love. That's the way of peace. You're you're not going to scare people into compliance. Uh, and, and when I talk about bad things coming, I don't want to scare you with that either. You have to really come together because you actually care about other people as much as you care about yourself. Now that fear is going to be lurking there, but one of the very first things Christ says is fear not. And... If you did it by the force, fear, and fealty, which is what you've been doing, at least since FDR, if not before, certainly since LBJ, forcing your neighbor to contribute, you're going to return to the bondage of Egypt. And, of course, you have, except for it's worse for you than it was in the bondage of Egypt. The idea of being blind, captive to your enemy, and sitting in darkness was prophesied, as I said, by Isaiah, by Micah, of course, by John and Jesus. 
and certainly even by Paul. But the reason that you have gone back into this bondage is because of apathy and sloth. Because you have not been attending to the weightier matters, which is why Jesus said it would have been better for the Pharisees to attend to the weightier matters. Now, they thought they were, because they were taking care of the widows and orphans. They were just doing it through forced contributions, and John the Baptist was saying, no, do it through charity. And when the Christians got the baptism of Jesus Christ and of the apostles, they were cast out of those systems of social welfare through force and fear and fealty. But that meant that they were also set free from those systems. It was the same way in Egypt. They were cast out of Egypt. The, the Levites were the ones who were called out. They were the church in the wilderness. Just the same as, you know, when Jesus picked uh, Paul and Peter and, and these others to be his ministers of his church, they were idiotists. They were unregistered. They were not a part of those systems. And, and he kept them from becoming a part of those systems. But the only way they could remain not a part of those systems was to serve the people. And the only way they could serve the people is the people gathered together in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and started contributing one to another to take care of the needy of society. And in hard times, there's no way to do that without tightening your own personal belt, which is literally the shedding of blood, if not the shedding of sweat and the shedding of toil and the shedding of your stuff for the sake of others. But that is the immersion in repentance. You, you've been for decades, for generations, have been taking from one another, biting one another, coveting one another's goods to provide your social welfare. Now you have to turn around. And eventually there will come a point here where the government says you can be free, but you can't have any more benefits. And they're kind of saying that now. You don't have to get the vaccination. You just can't fly in our planes. You can't get a job. You can't do this. But it's it's going to go beyond. Once you have economic collapse, banking collapse, money is in short supply, food is in short supply. We know the food shortages are coming. Uh, they're going to ration food. You're not going to get it unless you say again, succumb again. Now, you can try to go along to get along, but how's that worked out? You just get the vaccination, you won't have to wear the mask anymore. Oh, one second thought, you better keep wearing the mask. <laughs> and did we tell you about the new booster you're going to have to get? <laughs> They're raising the ante. The only reason I'm mentioning this is because you're seeing a pattern. You, you, you cannot buy out evil. Evil doesn't want your money. I mean, they'll take your money. But they want power. They want power over you. They want power over your soul. And you don't want to give them that. But you have. But if you repent and seek the kingdom of God, there, there are things coming where God will intervene. I'm not sure that he's going to take you all up in some sort of rapture ship <laughs> where you won't have to go through tribulations. You, know, you can pretty much count on there's going to be some serious tribulation. But you have to actually start 
immersing yourself in this way of thinking of Christ. And if you were doing that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have gotten to the place where we're at today. So all these things, you know, like graves and tombs and, and blood and shedding of blood, they're metaphors. Now, you may have to really shed your blood. <laughs> I mean, people do lay down their life for their fellow man. But it's really about a metaphor of laying down your time, your energy, uh, your free time. You can just, you know, like with raising kids, you do this all the time. You, you work all day, you come home and you just want to rest and know you got to go over their homework. Now, the people who sent their kids off to public school, they don't have to go over their kids' homework, and a lot of them don't. But people have become so accustomed to living at the expense of others until the point where they have made the state the father of their own children. On the, on the book Covenants of the Gods, we have a picture of the Pied Piper. Because ultimately, the Pied Piper provided services they didn't want to pay for, and they lost their children. Well, you've been provided services you cannot pay for. That's why your trillions of dollars, they want you more and more in debt. And I don't want to pick on individuals like Trump or anybody, but Trump put you more in debt. Didn't need to. Didn't need to shut down. Uh, some people, oh, he's playing the long game. Well, all that means is that you got a longer rope before you get the jerk at the end of it. Because... Nothing's gonna, it's not gonna change. Whether you wanna listen to Q or whatever, it's not gonna change until men change. And they can't just change, but they have to change in the direction of Christ, in the direction of righteousness, in, in the direction of loving one another. You have to do it that way. So these metaphors of shadow of death and graves and tombs include those who sit in darkness. These are metaphors. They don't sit in the truth. You know, like CNN doesn't sit in the truth. The only way you can get CNN to speak the truth is you get them drunk. Evidently, there was a one of their newsmen got real drunk and had a, quite the tirade. And even then, he wasn't really the truth. He was just throwing a fit. And uh, what is it? Anderson Cooper was trying to shut him up. <laughs> Anderson Cooper wanted me on his show one time. And they were contacting me. And they found out there was a little bit too much truth in what I had to say. So I didn't get on their show. <laughs> but anyway, you get to hear us. You can go to Keys of the Kingdom podcasts and listen to. We got hundreds of audios. And you really should be listening to these things on a regular basis. So that you start picking up these these thousand dots of light, these pieces of truth, and then allow them to fit into place in your own heart and mind. But you need to start seeking that kingdom of God and His righteousness in your daily actions. And be encouraged that God will do the miracle in your heart and in your mind. It's His grace that will save you, not mine. Don't seek my grace. But if you can find other preachers that are preaching the whole gospel, let us know. Oh, we'll have them on this show. We'll have them on as guests. Even if they're just close, see if they want to come on the show. We'll have them on as guests. You have to do the seeking. I'm not going to seek it for you, find it for you, build it for you, and then hand it to you. That's not the way it works. Paul tells us their mouth is like a tomb. 
and their tongue deceives. This is where the modern ministers are. The people, because their mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Now, you say, well, that's not my preacher. He's really nice and he's sweet and all this kind of stuff. But Romans 3.14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Can we look at those words of cursing? Do you know what word that is in the Greek? Like the parahema, it's ara, a prey, a supplication, an imprecation, a curse, a malediction. A prayer, a supplication, is a curse? Well, what is it? Well, they're praying for benefits from men who exercise authority. They're praying for benefits that come at the expense of their neighbor. Yeah, that's them. 3.13, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Well, that's not your preacher, is it? But all that means is they deceive you and deceive others. And they deceive them because they say it's okay to desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor. It's not. Matthew 23.23 Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay the tithe and mend and anise and cummins and have omitted the weightier matters. What are the weightier matters? Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have done and not to leave the others undone. But what you've done is leave all this to the government. You haven't been the government of the people, for the people, and by the people like early America, who is providing all the education, all the welfare. They were even building prisons with donated money, not with tax levies. Even the first public schools were built by the voluntary labor of the militia. That's what your militia should be doing. You want a militia? Start taking care of one another. Start providing education for one another. Most of that should be homeschooled, but you can come together and work together and and improve your homeschooling efforts by working together. And your kids will like it too. So, this is the process. Uh, even the, the bitterness, the bitter gall, the extreme wickedness. It is extreme wickedness that has brought us to this point. Where how much of your taxes are directly due because your neighbor wants benefits at your expense. And they're accustomed to receiving them at your expense. And you at their expense. You devour one another. Matthew fifteen eighteen. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. That's, we have defiled ourselves with this wickedness. And I'm just shocked that all these 40,000 denominations are not getting it. They, they're playing religion. They're not religion. Pure religion is taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity. Like, like John said at the very beginning. Like Jesus said. Like Paul was doing. You don't do that. You're not Christians. You're not born again. You're not saved. You could be saved. You could be born again. You could be Christians. But you have to be real Christians. You have to have the real repentance. 
the real baptism of repentance. And then, then you can actually go the way of Christ and seek His righteousness. But you have to persevere. And you have to do it together. Now, we didn't get to it. I could eventually get down to it. But that word that we see, remission, it's, it's most often translated forgiveness when it's not translated remission. Because forgiveness, if you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven. Christ is very clear about this. He repeats this over and over and over again. That your sins are not remitted lest you forgive the sins of others. You're, you're not going to be able to go free unless you let others go free. If you're still taking the benefits. Now, I'm not saying that the key is stop taking the benefits. The key is coming together and providing the benefits through faith, hope, and charity. The, the benefits may not be as nice and as comfortable. They're not just going to send you a check. But you're not going to starve to death. You're not going to freeze to death. But you're going to create, you're going to create the bonds of a free society. That's going to be the byproduct. But it has a lot to do with forgiveness. And one of the hardest things about sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands is that you've got to forgive all those other people you're sitting down with. Stop judging them. Stop trying to rule over them. Stop trying to dictate their beliefs. Or your beliefs as what they should believe. You're just in a free assembly. And it's going to take the Holy Spirit to make the difference. But we'll have to save this for another time. I see we have a lot of callers. Until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.